Hello, I'm Julie. And this is a Good Story is Hard to Find podcast. Where two Catholic friends talk about the books and movies they love and the traces of the one reality that lie below the surface. Yeah, yeah, more reality this week. Oh my goodness. (laughs) Yeah, we're going to talk about the first half of Genesis, uh, the book of Genesis, uh, except for we, we talked about Genesis 1 last week. Or last oh, episode, yeah. yeah. So episode 224 is about Genesis 1. And uh, this episode, 225, is we're going to talk about Genesis 2 through uh, Genesis 25, verse 11, which is the death of Abraham. Yep. Mm-hmm. Poor Abraham. Well, <laughs> <laughs> No, not at all. Well, you know, when Captain Kirk said, (laughs) what does God need with the starship? That was really where I was totally in. Are you sure you were reading the right Genesis? It's not the one where he's in the middle of the the hollow planet. I don't, spoilers. Spoilers, right. (laughs) For Wrath of Khan. (laughs) It took me a minute, but Uh, good one. (laughs) That's right. The Genesis device. Yeah. I love it. Yeah, this is the original Genesis device. (laughs) Holy moly. Okay, we're going to try to keep it to a reasonable length. But as I was reading through this and making notes, I just thought, this is such a rich book. And it's rich in a way that if you can not let yourself get hung up with the fact that it's got these sections of begats in it, and um, just let yourself flow with it. There is so much of human nature and real people because the thing I love about the Bible, and especially Genesis, is it's showing us people honestly. Mm. And so you've got this double strand of here's God's plan. And then you have the people doing about half the time they're doing as much to put obstacles in the way as they are to cooperate. Yeah, yeah, that's well put. Yeah, so this takes us Starting from, with the very first people. Oh, my gosh. Well, you know, it's I, – I mean to say they meant well, but, you know, they didn't. They <laughs> – oh, gosh. Anyways, <laughs> so you have chapters 1 to 11, and that's what's called primeval history. Mm-hmm. It's what we would call the mythical, more mythical history in terms of myth meaning story, not fake necessarily, uh-huh. but also meaning stuff that's bigger than – we can connect to actual people a lot of the time. Right. Does that sound yeah. right? Yeah, that does sound right. Yeah, and that's and then, um, that's pretty much Adam and Eve through Noah, right? Yeah, right. Yeah. Tower of Babel. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Up to Abraham, or Abram, as he is then. And then, um, so Genesis 12 is when we get to Abraham, and then, so those have all been big picture things and we'll talk about it a little more but uh about the outline but genesis 12 is abraham's life and that's the beginning of salvation history because now it's getting personal it's it's abraham's story in depth because he is the father of faith Hmm. for the jews for us also for islam of course and his story we get so many details so yeah so what we have is 
to do a super fast <laughs> summary is you have a zeroing in on creation in chapter two, which shows us man being created. We have when man uh, turns from God, that's popularly called the fall in Christianity. We have Cain and Abel, or Adam's children, Adam and Eve's children, and they show the first results of that fall, that turning away. Hmm. We have uh, the genealogies, which is the begats, which are literary devices that are carefully put in there to help divide sections in certain ways. We have Noah. Everybody knows Noah. Everybody was awful except Noah, who was super righteous, and he built the ark and saved everything, a little of everything, so that the world could be rebuilt after the flood. We have Mm. another genealogy, the Table of Nations. So, again, a little break that kind of resets the scene for us. We have the Tower of Babel, or Babel. Mm. And then we hit Abraham, or Abram, Mm -hmm. whose name is changed to Abraham later. And like I said, it's now we're zeroing in on a family, a personal relationship with God that will affect the entire world later. And then we go through, actually, through a little bit of Isaac's life, I think. If I'm right. Yeah. Yeah, for just sure. Just a little. Yeah, just a little bit, right? Yeah, just kind of set up his story a little since based on where we read through. And then that's, so that's what we'll talk about in the first half of Genesis. And for people who thought Genesis was boring, wrong. Yeah, not at all. <laughs> yeah. Not at all. Yeah. So uh, we, we had talked about, well, what's the best way to talk about this in about an hour's time? And, I, <laughs> you know, so we, I mean, there, there's so much here, but we thought what we'd do now um, that we've put the summary out there is sort of pick things that have struck us in this reading and mm-hmm. uh, just talk about those things. So um, do you want to go first? Well, I did the summary. Why don't you go okay, first? Okay, sure. So the, the first thing um, that leapt out at me, I'll say, is in uh, Genesis 3. This is something that um, I was actually reading with a group and um, someone pointed this out to me, and it really hit me uh, hard, it, you know, the Christian reading of this. So mm-hmm. it's uh, uh, chapter 3, verse 15, where, um, well, 14 and 15. It's 15 especially, right? So the uh, oh yeah. after uh, Adam and Eve ate the fruit, and uh, the woman said, the serpent beguiled me, and I ate. And the Lord God said to the serpent, uh, Because you have done this, cursed are you above all cattle and above all wild animals. Upon your belly you shall go, and dust you shall eat all the days of your life. And then it says, I will put enmity between you and the woman, and between your seed and her seed. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. And um, someone pointed out to me that that could be um, a prophecy of Jesus and Mary. And it's always read that way in the Catholic Church. Yeah, and that's that's something that I hadn't caught before. Oh. Um, and, uh, well, you know, it's one of those things that you may have heard before, but the, the thing is when you read it sometimes, something really hits you. Right, and right. And that's, that's what beauty. happened to me at this time, and I'm like – that's amazing, you know. So uh, again, we we talked when uh, uh, about Genesis one, how the whole book is like gears and and things that are just in- intricate, and yeah. this is one of those things. Yeah. Um. So let's see. Um. 
I have I have in front of me that again I'm using the Ignatius Study Bible, and it says right here, Christian tradition gives this text a messianic interpretation. Christ is the ind- individual uh, who tramples the devil underfoot, and then it gives some uh, references. And um, a Mariological interpretation: it, Mary is the promised woman who bears the Redeemer. Uh, the passage has long been called the first gospel mm-hmm. and stands out as the first revelation of God's mercy in scripture and gives a uh, catechism um, reference as well. Yeah. Um, but that's, yeah. And then when, once I saw that, I was just like, oh, that's, that's really something. <laughs> the whole thing just hangs together at that point. You go, holy yeah. moly. I mean, so here we are in Genesis chapter three talking about Mary. And right. um, that's just stunning. Well, yeah. and um, that's one reason when you look at art or statues and they have Mary, often what you'll, mm. you look, look at her feet. Yeah. Often she's got a snake under her foot. Right. Right. And that mm. verse is why. Fascinating. Yeah. Yep. See, now that yeah. opens up just a whole bunch of other things. So, right. <laughs> you know, They're and that's, just why, reminding that's why us you reread it. it too. It's like you read it well, and reread yeah. it. And every time you do, there's just something else. Well, and that's um, why um, the gospel is a living document, really, because any book you read and reread, if it's deep enough, it's going to strike you different ways based on where you are in your life. And this one, God will use, mm-hmm. you know, you will be looking at it through a different lens just because of faith and everything. Yeah, right. Um, One of the things from that same passage that struck me, and I read this using two different um, translations. One is my, like I said last time, that 1981 Catholic Bible, which is a study edition. It's the New American Bible, but it's not the revised edition because that came out later. Mm -hmm. But um, I also had... Robert Alter's translation from the Hebrew Bible. Oh, of Genesis. yes. Yeah, you've, you've mentioned that. Yeah, so he's not, um, well, I don't know if he's even really Jewish, but he is a master of Hebrew. And so mm-hmm. he's translated all the books that were origin- in Hebrew for the Old Testament, and um, he's got commentary on them. And the Genesis commentary is especially good because it was looked over by a rabbi who was a friend of his who died afterward. And sometimes, because Robert Alter is secular, you get a take on it where you're like, oh, I don't know about that. But a lot of times what you're getting are these really interesting insights just from a different point of view. And um, he pointed out, because to Adam... Uh, It says, and to the humans, meaning Adam, he said, right after what you read, because you listened to the voice of your wife and ate from the tree that I commanded you, you shall not eat from it. Cursed be the soil for your sake. With pangs shall you eat from it all the days of your life. And it goes on, but the part I was interested in was that, because the word for pangs is the same one used for the woman's birth pangs. Oh, because to the woman, he says, I will terribly sharpen your birth pangs. In pain shall you bear children, and for your man shall be your longing, and he shall rule over you. So basically, he's describing, God's describing there, everything's going to be messed up. Mm-hmm. You know, you're you're still going to want your husband. He's going to rule over you, you know, so this is going to be a messed up marriage. I, you know, not the ideal. You're, you already had labor pangs, but they're going to be awful now. Mm-hmm. 
And then yeah. to the man, he's saying, you know, you're going to have to work hard for what you eat. And the fact that the word pangs is identical is interesting because a lot of times I think people look at that and go, oh, yeah, the woman, she gets all the blame and she gets the worst part of it. Nope. They're each suffering in their own way according to their own vocation yeah, of tilling it, the soil is, or bearing children. Yeah, it is interesting that that's the same word. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in my translation, it's not. Well, that's just, it's just, um, that's the note. I'm sorry. That's the commentary note. Yeah. That's there. Um, and one of the things that I like too, is that when it's zeroing in on man here, um, in chapter two, you know, it, God's creating man and he's like, and I want you to, you can eat from anything in the garden and you can till the soil, you know, Mm -hmm. you're here to co-create with me essentially. Your partner with me. It's not that you're just created like an animal. You're different. And that's why he has Adam name the animals. Partly because of that and partly so he can go, well, there's where's my mate? Yeah. You know, there's no one like me. <clears throat> right. And then he really appreciates woman when God creates him. Yeah. So in, in here it says, um, in toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. And it says, thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you. And you yeah. shall eat the plants of the field. You know, thorns makes me think of Jesus mm. as well. Mm-hmm. Um, just a connection in my head anyway. You know, I, and I don't know, you know, the underlying languages and things, you know, so yeah. whether these connections are accidental or not, but yeah. That's a good connection. I hadn't thought of that. What you did brought thorns up from the earth and thorns are what part of what Jesus had to suffer. Well, one of the things that I have a note on that my priest pointed out during a Bible study was it's interesting to look at the way the man and woman fall into sin. Mm. And I've read this in a couple different places, including this Hebrew uh, study, I believe, or, well, unfortunately, as I said, I have too many books here. Mm -hmm. But um, it's basically when the serpent is saying to the woman, you know, you should eat this. He's using a plural verb for you. Mm. Because you know how a lot of the European languages will have, you know, the singular you and the plural you. Yeah, right. Well, so does Hebrew. Oh, okay. And so mm-hmm. he's using to the woman, you guys should eat this. Huh. So Adam's, the implication is Adam's there. Right, right. He's not stepping up and saying anything. Wow, yeah. Or calling out to God to help or mm-hmm. anything. Yeah. She's on her own. So it's the two of them together who are complicit. Um, and so when people go, oh, yeah, the woman gets blamed, blah, blah, blah. And people may, but it's a bad theology. Mm. They're in it together. Interesting. Yeah. Love mm-hmm. that. Yeah, as it should be. So... um the next thing that I wanted to talk a little bit about was um, this idea uh, everybody lived so long, right? You know, so uh, uh-huh. here, chapter five or six, when Seth had lived 105 years, he became the father of Enosh. Seth oh, lived yeah. uh, after the birth of Enosh 807 years and had other sons and daughters. Uh, thus, all the days of Seth were 912 years and he died. So, um, as you were describing, you know, the summary of, of Genesis, you said uh, chapter 1 through 11 is this pr- primeval history. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting that 
um, this, you know, long lived people are in here. And then after the flood, things seem to have reset or changed and that's no longer the case. Um, yeah. Right. So, so I'm not sure what it means. I've read a couple of different things, you know, they said, well, it could be that, uh, we're, you know, it's like an ancestor respect kind of a thing. You know, these guys lived a long time or, um, you know, I was just wondering what, what you made of it. The thing that I've read in several places, like I have an archaeological study Bible and various things from the past is um, this was really common in the, all those cultures around then. The more you respected somebody or the greater they were, the older you said they were. Mm. So mm. I believe there was a Sumerian king who they found the tablets were, and they're like, and he was 20,000 years old. Oh, uh, wow. You know, so That's it was a, a way to increase, <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, it increased their greatness. I see. Even though they might be whatever age they were. Uh-huh. Um, and, of course, we have to remember this was put together by editors later. Sure, yeah. So you have all the oral accounts, then it's written down in various ways, and the editors come through. Um, and so I'd be interested, yeah, thinking about how after the fall, the the lifetimes got – they're still – pretty old yeah yeah but but it not changes nearly. It's, it, yeah. there's no methuselah at 900 years there right right one of the things i like about those patriarchal um bigats you know those sections kind of breaking off the other sections is um for one thing it shows there's a literary complexity that people tend not to give to the bible mm. they think how simple it is they just threw this stuff all together and here it is a bunch of you know folklore and stuff yeah and instead, what they're doing in different places is emphasizing different things. For so, sure. yeah. um, and then also they're giving us the continuity. It's like going, and then time passed. So, what I love seeing was like, isn't Methuselah Noah's grandfather or something like that? Yeah, yeah. Um, and you see the name pop up, and you go, "Oh, there's so and so." Like later on, when it's the Table of Nations after Babylon, um, or maybe it's before Babylon. Um, you see Rebecca's name mentioned at some point in one of these series of things. I'm like, oh, Rebecca, you mm-hmm. know, so-and-so who was the father of Rebecca. I'm like, wait, she's going to marry Isaac later. <laughs> right. You know, I got yeah. real excited. <laughs> I was like, oh, I actually read one. And <laughs> yeah. so went, uh-huh. Yeah. yeah mm-hmm. Uh-huh. I don't know if that answers what no, you No, it does. It's just asking. a really, it's just an interesting detail that, um, you know, even mm-hmm. Noah, Noah lived a long time and, mm-hmm. and all that. And that was just, it's just interesting to think about. Um, and, and I like the language, you know, so at the very beginning of, uh, chapter six, when men began to multiply on the face of the ground, yeah. what does yours say? In the Robert Alter says, and it happened as humankind began to multiply over the earth huh. and daughters were born to them. Yeah, yeah. Because one of the things that I saw pointed out with that, um, patriarchal bit that comes in between the begats, the Mm -hmm. book of the lineage of Adam, it says, um, is it's kind of linked to the fruitfulness command. Right. Everybody's doing what they said. They're multiplying. And one of the things I liked was, um, from a little bit before then Mm -hmm. it was from Cain and Abel. And, um, so Cain's the older brother. Abel is the younger. Uh, Abel is a shepherd. Cain is a farmer, essentially, a tiller of the soil, which sounds mm-hmm. better than farmer. But 
Um, and they each bring an offering to God, and God likes one. He likes Abel's, but he doesn't like Cain's. And I'm not going to talk about that. Um, but the thing that I noticed reading this, where I was like, why have I not noticed this before? Knock me over with a feather. Is it says, um, and I'm reading from my New American Bible, Cain greatly resented this and was crestfallen. So the Lord said to Cain, why are you so resentful and crestfallen? If you do well, you can hold up your head. But if not, sin is a demon lurking at the door. His urge is toward you, yet you can be his master. Hmm. This is before Cain goes out and murders Abel. God is still with his people, encouraging them personally. He's telling Cain, hey, just do what you're supposed to do and it'll all be okay. Yes, you're tempted. You can do this. Mm-hmm. And I never noticed that before. And I thought, I actually copied those down into my prayer journal. I was like, yeah, his urge is toward you, yet you can be his master. You can do it. Mm-hmm. I'll help you, essentially. Wow. And it's, I like the you language know, in, my, in mine. It says, why are yeah. you angry? Why has your countenance fallen? If you do well, will you not be accepted? And if you do not do well, sin is lurking at the door. Its desire is for you, but you must master it. Okay. Yeah. 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 Love it. But it's the essence in both things of, I just thought you forget, you don't think of God still being personal Mm -hmm. until Noah comes along, essentially. Yeah. But no, he's there the whole time. He's still looking out for everybody. If you'll listen, you have to listen too. That's your part. Because then it's just like Cain said to Abel, let's go to the field, and it's too late. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, personal God from the beginning. And he doesn't abandon you. He goes to Cain. Cain doesn't say, why did this happen? Cain's pissed off. But God comes to him anyway. God's always seeking us. Right, right. And then um, and then the flood comes, right? So I mean, that's pretty much the next thing in chapter 6. Mm-hmm. The wickedness of mankind, and then... Um, the Lord saw the wickedness of man was great in the earth and that every imagination of the thoughts of his heart were, was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made man on earth and it grieved him to his heart. Then, yeah, we, we talked about Noah. We talked about the movie and I I think we (laughs) talked a lot about the book as well. Um, (laughs) In that podcast, that's that's episode ninety. If you're interested, okay. I yeah. can't think of this section without thinking of that movie. Isn't that funny? That's how powerful it was. I don't know about you. I agree. Yeah. 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 Russell Crowe. <laughs> <laughs> well, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, it didn't have to be dynamic. Well, that's not fair to Russell Crowe. It was. It was fine. It was all fine. Um. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because I was struck i remember because of that movie is when i went i was grabbing the bible as we watched it and looking up things like oh the water sprang up from under the earth as well as raining down and the fact that you couldn't eat meat until this time and i was looking it up again you know and sure enough it's chapter nine mm-hmm. every creature that is alive shall be yours to eat i give them all to you as i did the green plants only flesh with its lifeblood still in it, you shall not eat. Right. And it says all the animals on the earth are going to be afraid of you now. 
So, so man's given dominion, he can eat the animals, but that's changed the whole dynamic of, of man and creation mm. again. And then I yeah, also that's... hadn't realized, I think, maybe until we watched the movie or maybe it was, I was like, oh, this is the first uh, vineyards and everything and the first wine. And that's mm-hmm. why Noah getting drunk is, yeah. you know, mm-hmm. an important story also. Sure. Right. As soon as it happens, as soon as you can have wine, what's happening? Mm-hmm. We're having too much wine. <laughs> and it doesn't yeah. go well. And that's the story of humanity. As soon as yeah. we have well, this, it's... well, we're going to have too much of that. Well, yeah. (laughs) And Noah's really the only innocent drunk ever because he's nobody knew this was going to happen, you know. Mm -hmm. But uh, I don't know. Yeah, yeah. What about you, Noah? Well, that's just an interesting story. I I didn't mark too much in Noah because we had talked about it before. Mm -hmm. Um, So it's just, it's fascinating. Um, And then I don't know if you want to talk any more about Noah, but. Uh, one, the, just one comment, okay. which is yeah. um, a lot of people sometimes, and maybe we mentioned this before, but we'll, I think we talked about it last time. They'll point out, oh, the serpent it was a Canaanite god, mm. oh, or whatever. Oh, there's a flood story in all the areas around. You know, oh, well, sure. There was yeah. a freaking mm. flood, okay? Gilgamesh, yeah. I get it. Yeah. But the thing is um, that... Genesis is writing those myths through the lens of their faith in God. And they were writing them in order to go, no, you don't get it. This is what was going on. Let us explain to you what was happening behind the scenes. You're interpreting it wrongly. Mm -hmm. And so in that sense, it's like uh, Tolkien and Lewis talking about those splinters of light that where it's like, there's one true myth, meaning story, which is the story of Christ, but all these other things are splinters of it. And how do you understand it right or wrong? And this is the closest you can get to that common un- common stories, but there's wrong understandings and then the correct interpretation. Right. So I always kind of, you know, the flood is the, the really obvious thing people always point to going, see, your story is nothing special. Oh, really? <laughs> read about the conclusions we have and then read the Epic of Gilgamesh. Mm-hmm. You know, it's just different. Yeah, yeah. And another piece of that for me is, you know, when they when they discover the Epic of Gilgamesh and there's a flood story in it, you know, that's like, well, you know, looks like there was a flood for real. Oh, right. <laughs> you know, looks that, like it wasn't made it's up. Like, you know, it doesn't, I mean, it reinforces my belief in what this is. You know, it's like, mm-hmm. man, something happened. Yeah. You know, something happened. So they, yeah. you know, these people are, in, are all interpreting it. You know, well, and that's a good would, point, too. As they would, yeah. It's the primeval history, mm-hmm. but just because you can't prove it because it's before all this stuff was written down doesn't mean these people weren't there and this didn't happen. Yeah, yeah. Because they also have the man in the ark. Yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, and Gilgamesh was looking. I mean, the reason that he came upon those people that he had, was talking to, the Noah figure or whatever in his story, mm-hmm was uh, because he wanted to be immortal, right? And right. They, they were still alive. So, yes. Yeah. And uh, that's that's interesting, too. Yeah, um, that's one again, we should talk about sometime. It's such yeah, a great story. It is, yeah. And it is even more alien because, uh, well, for one thing, this is part of our common culture. Little children are given books of, you know, Noah and the Ark or mm-hmm. whatever. And um, 
this Gilgamesh is a completely different look at all that, but yet the human being in it is very relatable in a lot of ways still. Yeah. It's, we're not, we're still human beings. We still understand each other, Mm -hmm. you know? Right. Right. Anyway. Yeah. Yeah. And then the end of this uh, primeval section is the tower of Babel, like you mentioned earlier. Yep. And uh, that's always a fascinating story to me. It's very, very short. Um, but uh, now the whole earth had one language and few words. And then, um, again, let's see. So, uh, let's see. Humans said, uh, come, let us build ourselves a city and with a tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad upon the face of the earth. And the Lord God came down to see the city and the tower, which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Behold, they are one people, and they all have one language, and this is only the beginning of what they will do, and nothing that they propose to do will now be impossible for them. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language. You know, this is it's the same, same language he was using when he created the earth, right? Mm-hmm. Come, let us go down, and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth, and they left off building the city. Therefore, the name was called Babel, because the Lord confused the language of all the earth, and from there the Lord scattered them abroad the face of all the earth. I think that's that's just fascinating. Um, so it's like, you know, man was getting too big for his britches, right? Again, you know, hey, let's build this tower. Yeah. To the heavens, you know. And they, they tend to awesome. agree that what they were building was a, a ziggurat, uh-huh. if that's how you say it. And so that's a, like a stair-stepped temple that's flat on top. And the reason for a ziggurat is to sacrifice on it and make God come down and do what you want. Mm. Yeah. So that would be the other thing of we'll build it to reach to the heavens. We'll do this. And it's kind of ironic that they don't call down God, but God comes down like mm. you would do to a ziggurat and goes, Oh no, I don't care for this at all. Yeah. This is totally wrong. And the Robert Alter interpretation says, now nothing they plot to do will elude them. So I like that word plot because hmm. he's going back to the original Hebrew. Wow. Yeah. And I just mean, like it, it makes really clear what the intent of the words are. Yeah. You know, because here, uh see what he said, behold, there are one people they have one language, and this is the only the beginning of what they will do. You know, that that leaves a little interpretive there, you know, is God happy or not happy? Yeah. Right. But Alter's version, you those words really say, this is not good. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. This yeah. is, yeah. They, they, they don't have uh, this. They can't handle it, man. Right. Too much power. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. That's something. And so, one, one note here, since you were talking about lifetimes. So, this is talking about after this is the lineage of, all, of Shem. All these, one of uh, Noah's sons, and it gets down to at the very end, Abram, Nahor, uh-huh. and Haran. So Abram is a, will become Abraham, and so he is saying that the lifetimes are cut in half and then halved again when you get to the last part of the list. And he says that's part they think that's part of an interpretation of now we're entering human time. These are not people that we um, are legendary anymore. These are real people. Yeah. Interesting, a different interpretation of it. Very interesting. Yeah. Yeah. And so now it gets really personal because we're getting God is talking to Abram. Abram's responding with obedience. Mm -hmm. Um, He's 
getting involved in so many little stories in Abram's life. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah. And then this was interesting too. So, um, Abram, for some reason, I didn't remember this detail, but, um, so here, uh, now these are the descendants of Terah. Terah was the father of Abram, Nahor and Haran. And Haran was the father of Lot. That's the part mm-hmm. I didn't remember. I also noticed the whole Terah thing. And I thought that was interesting because it says, um, Terah took Abram, his son, and Lot, son of Haran, his grandson, and Sarai, his daughter-in-law, the wife of his son, Abram. And he set out with them from Ur of the Chaldees toward the land of Canaan. And they came mm-hmm. to Haran and settled there. So they never made it. It's like he started to go mm-hmm. out to Canaan. But they settled in, uh, they settled somewhere else. And then Abram, the Lord comes to Abram and goes, no, you have to keep going. Yeah. So we don't know about God and Teron, his fa- Abram's father. We're shown Abram who gets it done. Yeah. And mm-hmm. Abram, I have to say, he, like anybody, makes mistakes. But one of the things that's so great about him, we're not always shown a lot of what he's thinking, but we're shown his actions and what he is, is obedient. And his obedience is an act of faith. Because he doesn't even question God about, so you're saying this, but I still don't have a kid, and I'm really old. And that's well into the journey. Mm. You know, he's gone, he's settled, he's done all these things. He's like, I'm not seeing it happen. I've Uh done everything you asked. And so that obedience, because Abram later on, when um, one of my favorite bits is this, like, Abram, man of adventure, chasing the bandits and everything. Um, He has 318 retainers he takes with him. Well, those are the people who were fit to go off and fight as fighting men. Mm. Those weren't also the whoever else and the wives and the kids. He had a huge retinue with him. He wasn't just this shepherd with five people wandering around. He was a sizable nomadic leader. Mm. Or the leader of a sizable nomadic group. Yeah, yeah. Um, and I remember finding that out a while back, and it completely changed my mindset because it's also one thing if it's just you and five people and God says, come on out here and life will be better. And you're like, oh, okay. But Abram, when he got up to go, this was a big deal. He was leaving everything. I mean, he was taking it with him, but yeah, yeah. you know, he's mm-hmm. moving everyone with him. And it just changed how my dynamic of the whole thing. Wow. Interesting. Yeah. So one thing I liked, well, actually I have several things, but I'll start with this one. So this is further into the story, chapter 13. Okay. And Lot and Abram had so many flocks and herds and tents. And so this supports that. The land couldn't support everything because they had so much stuff and everybody was fighting. And so Abram says to Lot, you know what? We have all this land. Where do you want to go? And I'll go the other way. Let's get along. Yeah. yeah. So first of all, he's very generous in letting Lot do this because he's older and the patriarch, so he should get to choose. But he's going to let Lot do it. And so it says, And Lot raised his eyes and saw the whole plain of Jordan, saw that all of it was well watered before the Lord's destruction of Sodom and Gomorrah, like the garden of the Lord, like the land of Egypt, till you come to Zoar. And Lot chose for himself the whole plain of Jordan, and Lot journeyed eastward, and they parted from one another. Abram dwelled in the land of Canaan, and Lot dwelled in the cities of the plain, and he set up his tent near Sodom. 
Now the people of Sodom were very evil offenders against the Lord. And then it totally changes. You, you feel like, oh, now we're going to get the story of Sodom and Gomorrah. Nope. <laughs> and the Lord said to Abram, let's talk about descendants. You're going to, you know, your descendants will, will change the world. Right. And mm-hmm. you're just like, they just, the storyteller is so good. He just drops that little plot point there for you to think about and go, oh, crap, Lot, what did you do? <laughs> did you know this? Um, are you going to raise your kids here? What's going on? So when it circles back around to the big denouement over Sodom and Gomorrah being destroyed, you're like, oh, he's been living there the whole time, holding out the only righteous guy. But he picked it. Right, right. You know, I just love that little comment from the Uh, writer. Yeah, that's interesting. Lot wasn't the smartest one. Not the (laughs) sharpest knife in the drawer. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, yeah. And then he ends up at Sodom, right? You know, oh, like yeah. it says, but yeah, he hangs out there and he gets pulled out later. <laughs> mm-hmm. So, but yeah. And then, um, yeah, the, the, the one, the next thing that I was really had uh, marked was a little bit further down. It was in 17. Um, mm. But that's skipping like the, no, the covenant and stuff. But in 17, um, I thought this was really interesting. Oh, there it is. Okay. So, all right. So, this is uh, at the beginning of 18. So, and the Lord appeared to him uh, by the oaks of Mamre, is what mine says, as Mm. he sat at the door of his tent in the heat of the day, he lifted up his eyes and looked and behold, three men stood in front of him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the earth and said, my Lord, if I have found favor in your sight, do not pass by your servant. Let a little water be brought and wash your feet. And rest yourself under the tree while I fetch a morsel of bread that you may refresh yourselves. And after that, you may pass on since you have come to your servant. Um, So they said, uh, do as you have said. All right. So this is, um, this is uh, Yahweh and two angels, (laughs) right? And, um, Mm -hmm. and that, that struck me because it's a conversation that I've had a number of times, you know, has anybody been in the presence of God? Um, and, you know, so later on when Moses is, um, you know, he's, he's in a tent, you know, and he, he keeps going in this tent to talk to God. Mm -hmm. And then at some point it says, um, and he pleaded with God, please show me your face. And God said, well, I can't show you my face. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And then also, you know, the burning bush, you know, God appears Mm -hmm. to him as a burning bush, not as a person. So this is a very interesting thing. Um, first of all, three men immediately made me think of the Trinity. Right. Right. Um, and then um, another really cool thing that uh, is I have a, an audio Bible that I really like, and I would actually like to mention which one that is. I think oh, it's yeah. called The Word of Promise. And, oh. and Jim Caviezel is Jesus. Huh? Right. And it's a Catholic uh, uh, huh? Bible. I think it's the NAB. Right. But anyway, yeah. <laughs> and and, and in here, time. in this section, they use Jim Caviezel as the voice of, oh, of God. God. And I oh, was like, well, that's interesting. You know, yeah, they're making their interpretation yeah, there. Yeah, they're making an interpretation there. Well, maybe that was Jesus. Yeah. You know, uh, which could be, you know, well, be because, you know, how, how does it the fit? The Trinity is the Trinity. It's, right. 
it's one and the same. Exactly. Yeah. Three different people at the same time, and it's right. Who knows? Right. But if in our interpretation, if, if I look at this and and it says, well, this is this is Yahweh, it doesn't fit with other times we've seen Yahweh in in the Bible, other than in the 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 uh, what did you call it? The primeval part, right? In the primeval part. God seems to to show up and talk to people, but we we never really are given this is a person that's talking. Um, we we don't. Oh, we're we never. Don't, yeah, yeah they it don't doesn't describe say, him. It doesn't say a guy walked up and started to speak, mm-hmm. right? But it's here, that's exactly what it says. Him. Right. And uh, I just find that really interesting. Um, don't know what to make mm. of it yet. Um, mm. But uh, but yeah, so it's the reason that we believe it's Yahweh and 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 two angels is because. Yahweh, uh, uh, Abraham is reverent to one of them immediately, right? So, yeah. so he's like, I know who you are, and uh, I'm kneeling before you, and all this other stuff. And then the other two are the ones who go into uh, Sodom and Gomorrah and and look for, uh, right? You know, uh, good people, <laughs> right? So, and then not only that, but then. Um, the whole uh, Abraham intercession, right? Abraham mm-hmm. pleading with God for Sodom is in the same chapter. Um, so God is there and he's like, well, what if we found, you know, 20 good people? What do you think of yeah. that? You know, <laughs> all that one. Which is, is yeah. that's so great because it's mm-hmm. um, a combination of two things. One is courtly, not courtly, lawyerly talk. So some of it is like, if I may approach the bench kind of conversation, ah, right. yeah. the, the terminology he's using. And then the other is classic marketplace bargaining. Hmm. Yeah. The, you know, well, what if it was 50? What if it was 40? <laughs> what if it was 30? And this is exactly, they would have all recognized that as this is classic bargaining. Uh-huh. Right. And they think that maybe because he gets down to 10 and then he stops he says, God says, yeah, if there's 10 good people, I'll, I'll save them. And he doesn't go down to just one. He just stops at 10. And they, they say maybe this is why in Jewish uh, faith you have to have 10 people. Is that a minion maybe it's called mm. in order to have a prayer service? Oh. And didn't we watch? Oh, yeah, that's um, right. Yeah, that's right. The, I remember the movie. The women. Yeah, the women's balcony or That's whatever what it was. It was. Called. Yeah, because yeah, I remember where they were them trying to find their through. ten people. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, so they could have their prayer service at their synagogue or whatever. Yeah. And yeah. so, yeah, so this is all connected to that stuff. Wow. Neat. Well, and I was looking. Robert Alter has a little note on under the part where the Lord's appearing to Abraham in the desert, and it says at at the tent, and it says um, the the verbs at the beginning. Are singular. So he's saying, my Lord, he's speaking to one person. Okay. Mm -hmm. Sometimes the translations will make it sound like he's speaking to all three. Uh Uh-huh. And it says with verse four, it changes into plurals. Okay. So, and because then it says, and they said, do as you have spoken. Okay. Got it. That Uh kind of thing. Yeah. So, yeah, he is talking to one person at the beginning and then all three. Mm Mm-hmm. And so that, and that is the common Jewish interpretation too. It's God and the two angels, because the two angels go on to Sodom, as you were saying. Right, right. Yeah. So that's one of those things, you know. How do you square that with with what's later? Um, and to me, you know, a way to square that is, well, you know, how does Jesus appear as a human? Well, he does it with Jesus, and that was interesting right. that that Bible did that. Right. Um, but. Um, 
Yeah, because again, elsewhere, this comes up all the time for me, by the way, because I'm in an LDS culture. And in the LDS religion, uh, Joseph Smith was visited by, I believe it was God, Jesus, and Moses. Oh, I'm, I I'm trying to remember. Didn't know that. I thought it was an angel or two. I didn't. Well, there was angels Listen too, to but it was oh. it was like, um, yeah, you know, in the in the forest. Oh, God, and Jesus, stuff. and Moses, Holy Spirit, you're Some, out of here. Something like that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. We I'm have no room. To, you know, I, I I apologize if I've got that it's wrong, but yeah. I know that God was one of them, mm-hmm. right? And God uh, is a person or a human being, or used to be a human being. Um, oh. So. Yeah. So, so, they, but anyway, that's why, that's why it comes up. You know, a question yeah. I get often is, um, well, yeah. has God ever appeared to anybody like that? And, um, oh, besides Moses and, yeah. Well, even, even for Moses, I mean, it, it's a thing, you know, Moses couldn't be in the presence of God, you know, uh, or the, uh, he couldn't see God. Well, he couldn't see his face. Right. He saw him from and, behind. And because it's just yeah. too much, right? Yeah. You've got to, we got to go through purgatory on the way to. And then when he'd see him, but he would talk to him in the tent, then he would be yeah. glowing and it freaked everyone out so much. They were like, could you please put a veil over exactly, your face? Exactly. Exactly. And then yeah. you know, there's none of that happening here. Right. And, uh, right. And yeah, that's, that's just something that. It, it, yeah, because they're just about. standing out on the the top of the cliff or whatever, looking across at Sodom and Gomorrah, and the gods right. going, maybe yeah. should I? And I also like they kind of tell us what God's thinking. Mm-hmm. Um, and the Lord, the Lord had thought, shall I conceal from Abraham what I am about to do? For Abraham will surely be a great and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed through him. For I have embraced him so. that he will charge his sons and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord to do righteousness and justice, that the Lord may bring upon Abraham all that he spoke concerning him. Mm -hmm. And then he he says, so here's what I'm planning. What do you think? (laughs) And so I like that they're kind of going, should I tell Abraham? So you also see it's a testing moment for Abraham. How will Abraham respond? Yeah, right. And it's the same way that later we see people like Moses responding when God's Mm -hmm. like, that's it, kill them all. (laughs) You know, yep. just like, well, wait, what about just the 3,000 or whatever? Okay, we'll just mm-hmm. do them. Um, yeah. And so those moments when it looks like God is going, well, I'm not sure, those are actually for the benefit of the people who are going through the experience. Mm. Right. Yeah, I believe that too. Until you're faced with something, you don't know what it is that you really think. Mm-hmm. So you have to act on it, I think, a lot of times. So. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yep, and then it. Sodom and Gomorrah is destroyed, and that's where we we get Lot out of there. <laughs> yeah, when the morning that- dawned, the angels urged Lot, saying, "Arise, take your wife and your two daughters who are here, lest you be consumed in punishment of the city. Get out of there!" Yeah. Mm-hmm. And he's busy arguing the whole time. Right. Isn't that like it? Like, oh, I know that, but can I just grab my stuff? <laughs> oh, I, oh, I know, but can I just go here instead? I don't want to go up there. <laughs> Oh, yeah. I know you guys are all angels. right. Hurry up! Yeah. But this is happening, and I got to get you out of here. So come on, move it. Yeah, and, that, and that's another thing that's interesting here. You know, whenever we see angels, uh, there's usually fear. Mm-hmm. You know, so an angel appeared, and they were much afraid, right? So mm-hmm. uh, here, he Lot doesn't have that. So it's just yeah, an interesting. It's just an interesting uh, divergence from mm-hmm. uh, what is normal later. Well, and of course. Um, 
I remember reading this in Peter Kreif's book on angels and demons, which was it's a Q&A format because it's based on a class that he taught. Mm-hmm. And so it's all, you know, are, what are angels like? What is this? What is that? And um, then he'll answer it. And one of the things he says is, you know, angels put on disguises like we put on mm-hmm. Halloween costumes. One of their <laughs> disguises is to appear as people. Wow. Yeah. And he says, so the old Jewish wisdom is if you want to know if you've entertained an angel unawares, you like give them something to eat. Mm-hmm. And then after they're gone, count the cookies. He says, because they'll they'll look like they're eating, but they can't really eat because uh-huh. they're spirits. So, it'll be the same number of cookies on the plate that you start off with or whatever. Wow, interesting. Yeah. And so, that's mm. what I think of when you're raising these questions. I'm like, well, there's no reason God wouldn't do that too. Because when you think about the beginning of Ezekiel, and Ezekiel's describing mm. what he sees that is an angel, and it's just mind-blowing. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's unbelievable. You can't right. do that to everybody. Mm. You have to show up in a way that they understand. <laughs> like, maybe maybe it did look yeah. like Jesus. We so don't it's know. Like, you know, when, uh, yeah, when Gabriel shows up, it's like, okay, I want no doubt that I'm an angel of the Lord, yeah. right? Right. Yeah. So, yeah. So, here, you oh. know, Lot, I mean, if those had appeared as angels from other you know he would be like yeah whatever you say let's get her done you know if they look like people he's he's like uh you know he can argue with them because he's used to doing that anyway and it's also how they're testing the people of sodom right right how are you acting to regular people i mean you know Mm -hmm. that's the thing of if you show up somewhere and you don't start talking you just listen to how people are talking you get a sense of what this culture is like and you know think of political debates Right. If people think that everybody there is like them, they talk in a really different way than if they know you don't agree with them. True. Yeah. Whether it's arguing with you or just kind of changing everything to be more moderate. Yeah. Yeah. You know. Right. Um, right. Well, um, one and one of the things I love about the um, Sodom and Gomorrah thing that I just noticed reading this through is so it's the Lord the Lord is raining brimstone and fire down and everything is destroyed and Lot's wife looks back and turns into a pillar of salt. And then it says, and Abraham hastened early in the morning to the place where he had stood in the presence of the Lord. And he looked out over Sodom and Gomorrah and over all the land of the plain. And he saw, and look, smoke was rising like the smoke from a kiln. Hmm. And it never occurred to me I never realized that the storyteller brings it back to Abraham who had been arguing if you can find 10 people and my nephew lives there. Also, he's thinking, you know, he has to be thinking that. So in the morning he's going out going, what's, what's going on? What did God do? Oh no. Right. You know, and it just Mm -hmm. leaves it there then and goes back to lot. Yeah. But it's so interesting to me that, you know, they're at the beginning, the storyteller's going, and so Lot picked this land, and these people were evil in the sight of the Lord, and then it drops it. So the the storytelling is very sophisticated. Mm. It's it's closing up loops, it's giving you different perspectives to consider how does Abraham feel? You know, God kept his word. Did Lot get out? I mean, all these things. Yeah, yeah. Very interesting. Yeah. One thing I came across that we we had skipped over um, because we have to, but um, mm-hmm. there before this, let's see, there's a big famine. I think it's before this. Let's see. Uh-huh. And um, they go down to Egypt 
Abraham has got to feed all these people. So he takes them down to Egypt where there's still food. Uh-huh. And he says to Sarah, you know, hey, you're, you're gorgeous, and uh, the Egyptians will kill me to get you. So let's just say you're my sister because you are my half-sister anyway, and then it'll be fine. And that's exactly what happens. And um, Pharaoh takes Sarah. Mm. And mm-hmm. it says, but it's kind of like they paid Abram. It says, it went well with Abram on her account. He had sheep and cattle and donkeys, male and female slaves, and she asses and camels. And it says, the Lord afflicted Pharaoh and his household with terrible plagues because of Sarai, the wife of Abram. And Pharaoh's like, Abram, come on, man. That wasn't fair. You didn't tell me this. I didn't know. Um, Take your wife and leave. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And then it says, and Abram came up from Egypt, he and his wife and all he had and lot together with him to the Negev. And Abram was heavily laden with cattle, with silver and gold. So all that is like a little encapsulation of what happens with the Hebrew people in the Holy Land or in Egypt later. Mm. The big Moses story. That's cool. That's really neat. Mm Mm-hmm. We know the Moses story pretty well, and especially since we covered the Ten Commandments. But he, Sarah's enslaved, essentially. She's captured. They won't let her go. The Lord frees her because of plagues. And Pharaoh finally says, yes, get out of here. Uh And they're laden with riches and all their stuff when they leave. And that happens in the Ten Commandments or in the Mm. story Yeah, in Exodus. Cool. The people Mm. all give them stuff and go, get out of here. So they've been repaid for their labor. Yeah, yeah. So this is a foreshadowing of that whole story. Fascinating. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah, it's interesting, isn't it? Yeah. So love it. Yeah. <laughs> love that There's kind so of much. stuff. There's just so much. You bet. Yes. Wow. Yeah, and my my next one is uh, is Isaac. You know, so God okay. God tests Abraham. Um, oh, yeah. The thing that uh, jumped out at me this time was uh, that. Okay, so the story is that um, God says, you know, take your son, your only begotten son, Isaac, which God has given them, right? Um, Right. You know, because they're very late in life. And he said, you know, I'm going to give you a son and your son's going to be, how did he put it? Uh, There's going to be nations, right? Mm -hmm. (laughs) Nations out of your son or whatever. You know, so so then uh, surprisingly to Abraham, he would says. God says, take your son, your only begotten son, Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. Mm-hmm. So extremely difficult. And um, so Abraham is like, okay, I'm going to do this because this is God. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering. And arose and went to the place of which God had told him. And then on the third day, Abraham lifted his eyes, saw the place far off. And I can just imagine him being, oh my gosh, I'm getting close. Mm-hmm. Um, then Abraham said to the, to the young man, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. And then this is the part here. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. In yes. other words... Uh, carry this wood, son. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think we know what that connects to. Yeah, and Jesus then, and the cross. Exactly. The cross. exactly. For anybody who's right. not Christian, maybe listening. Yeah, yeah. And that, that struck me this time. I was like, wow. So, um, yeah, definitely pre-configures Jesus' sacrifice. 
Um, mm-hmm. Which, and in this story, of course, you know, uh, he's ready to sacrifice Isaac, and then God stays his hand and says, no, don't do it. Right. Right. And, uh, but it is, you know, it is the story of Jesus in a microcosm. Yeah. Well, and it it hit me this time reading it. I never noticed the detail. It took him three days to get there. Yeah. Wow. And I thought, he lived with that for three days. Mm-hmm. I've always thought of the story of, he cuts the wood, he goes up the mountain. <laughs> it's right there. Yeah. And um, so, one of the things is that the word lad, <laughs> it mm-hmm. tends to skew younger than a lot of times it does in Hebrew. Hmm. It often means a medium teenage to like early 20s guy. Interesting. Which would mm-hmm. fit with um, the timing if you're reading the story. It's, but he's not. So if you see pictures where it's a little boy, that's not right because he couldn't have carried the wood for the sacrifice for one thing. Mm-hmm. But um, he's, he's really, you know, probably close to manhood at that point. So he knows. I'm always interested kind of in Isaac. Everybody always talks about, and and this is legit because as a mother, oh my gosh, but he, they always talk about Abraham and how awful he felt. I'm like, but Isaac knew what was going on. Yeah, yeah. He knew they were going to do it. He carries the wood. His father trusses him like a lamb. So he's tied up like Jesus was. He lies down on the um, wood willingly. Mm. He trusts his father. You're right, yeah. (laughs) <laughs> he knows all this, and he is obedient just like Jesus, too, in that level, you know? Yeah, yeah, you're right. So, so it says a lot about Isaac, too. Yeah, and so I think about later, Isaac doesn't get much credit because, you know, Rebecca, when we get to the next time we talk, Rebecca is a very strong woman, his wife, mm-hmm. and she is running the show, and he's kind of getting run over by the time we see him. But he's gentle, I mean, at the end of what we read, he's walking the fields mourning his mother who died. And Rebecca comes. She's the wife who's been brought. And it says he took her into his mother's tent, and he stopped missing his mother, and he loved his wife. He's a gentle soul. Yeah, yeah. And I like that he even gets a little credit. And here, he is showing true obedience. It's that Christ-like love, like you say. Mm -hmm. And both he and Abraham, I mean, this is the moment. Because the other thing is that um, Abraham might not have been as surprised by this as we always think he is, because all the gods in the area, they all wanted human sacrifice. And when you look at the archaeological data that has been uncovered, I mean, I don't know how they had enough children to sacrifice sometimes. <laughs> wow. So that would have been, mm-hmm. oh, okay, you're, you're like, okay, God, this is the kind of thing you do all the time, that gods do all the time. Mm-hmm. So this God is different. He doesn't do it. Yeah, right, right. And of course, the end of the story is that he has his own son who he sacrifices for. Our God sacrifices himself for us, yeah. not us for him. Amazing, yep. Um, and then, if you don't mind, um, yep. a couple more things. that One is something I read, which is that in the Robert Alter notes, um, it says that when the Lord's messenger calls to Abraham and says, well, you need to... Um, Abraham, don't do it. 
you know, uh-huh. yeah. <laughs> uh, he says, don't, don't raise your hand to the son and to the lad and do nothing to him. It says, this is nearly identical to the calling out to Hagar in 2117. So Hagar was Sarah's maid. Sarah wasn't getting pregnant. And this is super common back in the old Testament days. They would send in a maid mm. and that child would be considered as the child of the mistress of the maid. And so that was just normal. And then later she sees Ishmael teasing Isaac and uh, gets him sent away with mm. her. And it says, um, anyway, so each of Abraham's son is threatened with death in the wilderness, one in the presence of his mother, the other in the presence and by the hand of his father. In each case, the angel intervenes at the critical moments, referring to the son fondly as Na'ar, lad. At the center of the story, Abraham's hand holds the knife. Hagar is enjoined to hold her hand, the literal meaning of the Hebrew, on the lad. In Mm. the end, each of the sons is promised to become progenitor of a great people, the threat to Abraham's continuity having been averted. So there's that, which is masterfully written. Mm -hmm. And then um, what occurred to me, and I don't know if this is really accurate, but before that, we've had Abraham and God with the covenant. So the covenant, the animals are torn in half, the big animals are torn in half, they're sacrificed, and they're each on a little rise of a hill so that the blood runs down the middle. And in the old way of doing covenants, each person would have walked through the blood, kind of going, if I don't keep my promise, this is what happens. It's the most solemn promise. Hmm. But in that, Hmm. um, Abraham doesn't have to walk through the blood. God does the covenant, calling on himself. He's like... I use myself as a surety on this covenant. Mm. You don't have to give, you don't have to promise anything. Hmm. Well, so that's the same thing that happens here with Isaac. God doesn't make um, Abraham or Isaac sacrifice here either. God says, I'm doing it. I provide the lamb. You know what I mean? Well, yeah. yeah. I'm making the covenant here. Uh Nice. Nice. So I realize that's, that's a that's bit great. rough, but no, it, to me, I was like, wow, all these parallels in here. Yeah, for sure. Wow. Yeah. That's powerful stuff. Well, it's just, <laughs> I know I keep saying this, but this time through, I just kept going, this writer was masterful, mm-hmm. or the editor. Yeah. You know, and of course, the story itself, which is there to be used. Yeah. Um. Because it's, you know, the telling of what happened. Right, right. Wow. That's great. Anyway, I'm sorry I kind of hijacked everything. No, no, no. That's wonderful. But I got super excited. (laughs) Right. Could you tell? (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely. Well, we've got to bring this podcast to a close, this episode. I know. I mean, we could go on and on. And I Mm -hmm. mean, there's, there's so much more. Um, but yeah, it's, it's rich. It's, I just love reading it. And I look forward to the second half too, which is our next episode. Oh yeah. Uh, we'll read, uh, 25 verse 11. So, so the death of Abraham occurs, uh, in chapter 25 verses seven through 11. And then, uh, the next section is the descendants of Ishmael. (laughs) Yeah. Yep. Yeah. So, Lots more good stuff to go through. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Is there anything else you'd like to say before we go? Mm-hmm. Out of your pile of notes? Is there well, that's one? the problem is yeah. there's too many notes. I think I mm-hmm. have um, said plenty. 
Okay. What about you? <laughs> no, I'm the same. I'm the same. It's just, uh, yeah, there's so many other places to go. Yeah, it's it's so amazing in terms of the complexity of the stories all telling the same big story. Yeah. At the same time as we're watching all the people in their lives struggling with the issues and the problems. And, you know, once you get to Abraham, you're seeing the problems up close. Mm. You know, as he keeps going, am I going to have a kid? And Sarah going, yeah, that's a good one. I, I <laughs> yeah. sympathize with Sarah. Right. <laughs> <laughs> that would have been me. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah, it's just... Um, even if you're not Christian and listening, though why you'd be listening by this far in, I'm not sure. But if you are, um, you know, just sit down and read a little bit of it and just kind of look at what the story is saying. Throw away those preconceptions about Genesis and, you know, the religion and this and that. Just read what it's saying. Hmm. It has its own story that it's telling. Yeah. Yeah. Well put. <laughs> Great. Well, I'm really looking forward to the next section. <laughs> yeah, me too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, okay. thank you for listening, everybody. <laughs> yes, thank you. <laughs> See you in a couple weeks. We'll talk to you soon. Okay, bye-bye. Bye-bye. Mm-hmm.